is um, work, wisdom, worship. Sorry, word, wisdom, uh, worship, and work. Okay. And uh, so to uh, look at that, we're going straight to the next passage. Well, straight to the prayer. Okay, let's pray again. With me, if you would. Heavenly Father, as we come to your work today, please give us sharp eyes to understand and soft hearts to believe. In Jesus' name, Amen. Before we move on, you'll notice at the top right hand corner of the screen, there's a little wiggly thing. Just keep your eye on that because I'll tell you what it means later on. Okay, so the reading, uh, just from Colossians chapter 3 now, we've, the last three times I've been here, including today, we've looked at Colossians 3. Uh, the first week we talked about the priority of what is over what should be. That first of all we know who we are, then we know what we should do. And we follow that up a little bit in the second time, when you may recall we talked about how well you're dressed. Remember that? And uh, so I hope that we were a little bit better dressed then, now rather, than we were then. Um, speaking only, of course, in spiritual terms. And then uh, today, verse 16, and uh, there's uh, missing out verse 15, and missing out some other verses as well, because there's just so much in Colossians we can spend weeks and weeks on. But let's just look at this couple of verses. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in the word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And you notice there's several words highlighted, this word, this wisdom, this worship, this work. And so, here are the four words we're going to look at very briefly this morning. First of all, let's look at word. I press before we do that. Just imagine you go to the bank tomorrow to draw out some money, or you sit at your computer to try and make a withdrawal, and you find there's nothing there. <coughs> and so, you ring up the bank, tell them, you say, look, what's wrong with my account's empty? And so they say, well, where did you last deposit something? And you say, well, do you not have to deposit money to get some out? It's a silly story. None of you would be so foolish. But yet Paul talks here about being rich in the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I'm thinking, if God's word is in us richly, it will be there because we've made some deposits. And if we haven't deposited, there'll be nothing to withdraw. So it's important for us all the time to see that we are filling our lives with God's word and that we are rich in the word. And I, I think it's just a delightful expression that Paul uses here. Not just to let the word dwell in you, but let it dwell in you richly. You know, not just let it dwell in you comfortably, let it dwell in you richly. So that we are rich in the word. And I suggest there's probably two areas in which that's really important. The first one is scripture memorization. Now that is, I'm afraid to say, and I've probably said it before, a dying art. Because of these things, smartphones. And, um, uh, how many of you got a smartphone? Yeah. Who's got a stupid phone? <laughs> <laughs> Who's got a smartphone you sometimes call a stupid phone? Yeah. <laughs> so. And of course these are marvellous when they're 
I remember when my son, one of his first jobs was to sell mobile phones and he wanted me to buy one. And I said, why do I need a mobile phone? Got a phone at home, got a phone in the office. Why do I need a mobile? Because here we are, just maybe 25 years later, you're going to say, how do you just buy for help? In today's society, you really can't. And uh, I don't know how many Bibles I've got on here, but there's a whole lot of them. Got about four or five different mobile Bible programs, not counting those on my computer. And it's marvellous to be able to just access the scripture anytime. And beautiful, as long as your battery's charged. Or as long as you haven't dropped it or cracked the screen or something. And so it's it's a wonderful tool to have and I use mine extensively. But at the same time, uh, like David said in one of his Psalms, uh, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. He did not say, I've hidden your word in my pocket that I might not sin against you. It's getting God's word in our heart. And memorising scripture is the only way to secure that. And I used to talk about this and say, yeah, if there was one day persecution came to Australia, uh, and it was sort of like a remote possibility you wouldn't even dream of. It's not so remote anymore. The challenge is everywhere. Christianity is under, under siege of all sorts of quarters. It's okay if you're a Buddhist or Muslim, but you can't be a Christian. And so, you know, God forbid, but could the day come when these are no longer available? And the only way you have the word is in your heart. And the second reason why it's so important is, as mentioned on the screen there, that when Jesus was tempted by Satan, he answered exclusively the three temptations by using the scripture. And it's interesting that um, in Greek, the, 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 the phrase, it is written, is just one word in Greek. It's just what the, the grammar for, formation is just one word. And so, uh, if you take the Greek words that Jesus used, um, 20, 27 times, he, 27 of the words are scriptural quotations, and three of them are extra words. That's not quite right. Well, yes, in Greek it is, because get thee behind me, Satan, there's only two words. The other three are, it is written, it is written, it is written, and each of those is a single word. So you go, just those three different words, otherwise the other 27, 28 words are all the scripture. And that's how Jesus overcame temptation, by quoting the word of God. I think it's fair to say the word of God dwelt in him richly, that he could just use it as the... Okay? Uh, so the question is, on a scale of 1 to 10, how rich are you? How rich am I in the Word? Is someone to measure uh, wealth by how much we know the Scriptures? Ooh, say that more. Alright, number three, number two, be rich in wisdom. Now, the Greek has spent so much time on wisdom, just let me just refer to it, that uh, the handling of the Scripture is to be done with wisdom. Okay, and it says there, be rich in the Word, let the, let the word of Christ be richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. It's easy to teach and admonish each other and tell each other what to do. And there's people who, who witness for Christ, but they do it in such a proud and uncaring and aggressive way. And he says, let the word dwell in you richly with all wisdom. And the key thing about wisdom in the Bible is that it's not an intellectual thing. Wisdom in the Bible is a character thing, a character quality. So James says, who is wise among you? Let him show it. Does anybody know the next bit? Let him show it by 
his conduct and the way he lives. So you don't show wisdom then by being able to be a great biblical genius or any kind of genius for that matter. You show wisdom by the way you live. And that comes out very clearly of Paul's letter in James's letter, where he has all these qualities of wisdom. Now, don't feel I'm not going to try and explain each of those today. Just look at what they are. Upright, sincere, impartial, good fruit, mercy, submission, gentleness, peace. None of that's to do with great knowledge or learning. It's all to do with the way we live. Look, even a child can be wise on that basis. And children often are. Little kids are wise enough to know it's a terrible thing when their parents fight. They're wise enough to know when injustice takes place. They know that. And even kids can, can know that peace is better than conflict. And that mercy is better than anger. And submission better than oppression. So that's the nature of wisdom. Right? <coughs> Third thing, he says, be rich in, in, in worship. Now he doesn't use the word worship there. I've, I needed a W, so I put the word worship in. <laughs> and I could have just said music, but that doesn't kind of have the alliteration. So there's, uh, there's uh, be rich in worship. You see what it is? It says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And all of that is part of what we call worship. Now, I remember once um, um, I was, we were having a table, staff conference or something, and uh, the, young, the man who was leading the singing said to me before the two-day conference, said, Barry said, um, for the, even the first day, he said, uh, how long do you want us to worship? And I said, oh, I think two days would be good. And he said, hang on, he said, I can't play my guitar for two days. And I said, Chris, said, you're talking about music, I'm talking about worship. So they're not necessarily the same thing. Now obviously, good music will be worshipful, but worship goes beyond that. It's interesting here, uh, Paul talks about um, <clears throat> worship and, and wisdom, which expresses itself through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But worship is actually more than that overall, because it also has this teaching and exhortation component. And the Greek word actually means to fall on your face. It's the actual meaning of the word worship. And so it's interesting that when uh, in the gospel, sometimes when someone comes to Jesus and they fall on their face before him, as I think Matthew 8, I've got quoted there, I think, in Matthew 8, verse 1, um, the centurion, the leper comes, and some translations say he worshipped Jesus. Because the Greek word actually means to fall on your face, but he actually probably did fall on his face. And so quite often those two words have the same meaning. But what I want to say today is that worship here is that we ought to characterize our whole life, every part of our lives. There's a hymn, there's a prayer that says that, Fill thou, oh, fill thou my life, O Lord my God, in every part with praise. <coughs> Now I know Grant Darrell, you've asked me not to preach too long today, but that's really, that's pushing it a bit. <coughs> I hope my phone doesn't go off. <laughs> Alright, <coughs> so, but just to, uh, I can say what I want to do, just notice three kinds of songs, psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Now the, the word for psalms in Greek is actually the same word. Uh, pretty much, the word hymn is pretty much the same word in Greek. Samos, hymnos. So they probably mean pretty much the same. A psalm being a biblical expression of praise, and then a hymn being another sort of song, but a, a religious song, using Jewish terms. 
And then there's spiritual songs, or literally songs of the Spirit. And then there's another speculation about those, but it very likely means singing in tongues. Singing with the prayer language, that's probably what it means. Because we read in 1 Corinthians 14 of how Paul says that, you know, I will pray with my spirit, I will sing with my spirit. And, and there's that sort of connection there, that's, there's things such as spiritual singing, spiritual songs. But I certainly think that's the view anyway. It seems to me that's really what uh, he's talking about here. And of course, some will say, well, every song should be a spiritual song. Well, yes, that's true. But uh, same as you could say that about anything. You know, every speech should be spiritual speech, every act should be spiritual act. But there's some that are classified in that way. And so here we have this here, this, this psalms, scriptural songs of praise, hymns, of which we sung some this morning, and uh, then spiritual songs, which we've also done this morning. Singing with the words given to us by the Holy Spirit. So we've done all three <coughs> here today. So, uh, rich in worship then, it, it includes all of that as well. It's, it's, it's more than that, but it certainly includes that. And then the fourth thing is, I'll uh, uh, <coughs> okay, is work. Whatever you do in word or deed, and uh, I suggest the word work covers that, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father for him. Then verse 23, whatever you work heartily as for the Lord, and not for men. And from the Lord you receive your inheritance because you are serving the Lord Christ. I really love that last line. Who's your boss? Christ. Who do you serve? I serve the Lord Christ. It's a powerful statement. Just to go back to the beginning, you have word and deed and then you have work. So be rich in work. So basically it means that whatever we do, that uh, we should glorify God in, in that as well. We do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, and uh, as for the Lord, not for men. Colossians 3, 17 and 23. Now I don't remember how I came up with this, but when I was a, uh, must have been 15, Indian Santa Post stage. What is this? When I was 15, um, I was captivated by these verses. Captivated by them. I thought, whatever I do, in everything. I mean, look, I mean, look at the phrases there. It's not, it's not sort of, it's whatever you do, in everything, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then further down, do it as, unto, as for the Lord. And I thought, wow, there is a challenge for living. And it started to affect what I did. And I probably became somewhat called fanatical about this. Because I would be making my bed in the morning. I mean, my mum died when I was 10. My dad was a school teacher. And I, if I didn't make my bed, nobody did. <laughs> so I had to make my bed in the morning. And I said to myself, if Jesus were going to sleep in my bed tonight, how would I make it? So I'd go back and smooth this. <laughs> and make it look the best I could. So what if Jesus was going to sleep in my bed? Well then, you know, I was helping down in the garden and uh, I'd, my job was to mow the lawn. When I finished, I'd think, if Jesus were to walk in, how would he feel about this lawn? 
So I assume we tell me got to trim the edges here. And look, it just was everything. And I said, uh, uh, so I, I thought, I just want to make this a pattern of living. So then I thought, what about schoolwork? Now, what if Jesus were my teacher? <laughs> hand this piece of work into him. And so that's when the little scribble came into existence. The one that you can see on not on there. Yeah, it was on top of the corner. Right up there, it's still there. So, and, uh, so that's what it looked like. And it was a combination of three letters. A U, and a T, and an L. And in the old King James Version Bible, which we all used in those days, it stood for unto the Lord. Of course, nobody uses the King James Bible much nowadays, but I've still kept it the same way because you've got to have a U there to make it look balanced. So, kept it. so unto the Lord. And I used to, every school exercise I did, every maths page, every history page, every English page, I'd write that at the top of the page, just top corner, just write the UTL. Uh, and it was, became just a standard habit of mine in, in all the written work. And then later when I was just doing things that I was, I was doing for me a lot of the time, writing essays and sermons and stuff, all the same sermon notes, UTL, so top of the page. And I was talking about this uh, five years ago in Sydney, when I was doing a series on Colossians in the Redeemer Baptist Church, we had six days, 11 sessions on Colossians. And afterwards, Sir Simon Walker, who's one of the technicians there, and he thought my art wasn't good enough. And so he uh, did that. He got a really classy looking logo that I can use. So on that same patch there on my computer, I can easily transfer it. Uh, but I left the original one, and this is PowerPoint, uh, but this is what it is now. And even more, my wife had my wedding ring published or something on her wedding anniversary, and it now says UTL on my wedding ring as well. So I'm reminded of every time I see my ring. And I was really especially delighted when my granddaughter, a couple of years back, I was talking to her about something, and she said, UTL. I said, how do you know about that? And she heard me talk about it somewhere, and she picked it up. She was using this as a practice in her life. That was made me really proud, really happy that she would do that. But that's, that's what the Apostle is talking about here when he says, do everything as for the Lord in the name of Jesus. What a challenge that is for us today. What a challenge. Let's do, look at that passage of Scripture again. Whatever you do, notice both verses are saying, 17 and 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do. Now the first one says, in word or deed, Next one says, work heartily and do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then he goes down the bottom, you are serving the Lord Christ. You've got the, really, the verses are very similar, almost repetitive. But just focusing on the fact that whatever we do, not just church work, but whatever we do, housework, school work, working, employment, whatever, do it as if we're doing it for the Lord. And what a wonderful society we would have if everybody lived like that. With this uh, motivation that, okay, I'm going to repair a car today. This car belongs to Jesus, but it'll do a good job. <laughs> with the mentality, think, I'm going to think of this car as if it's Jesus' car and do it, or whatever. Um, and my wife really is taking this off when it comes to meals. Whenever we have visitors, uh, she, she can't just serve a simple meal. She's got to do an amazing meal because Jesus might be coming. <laughs> you know, that's. Um, and I tell myself sometimes, look, 
I'm pretty busy. I think Jesus would understand if I don't do this, but God has will. So I might, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm silly about this. Not silly about it, but just to say, as a general principle, let's do things well. Let's live well. Have it. You know, I know people are, there's a popular saying now, now what would Jesus do? Yeah. Well, frankly, I don't always know what he would do. But I know, and this is a different question, what can I do? What shall I do? And I can think about that. And, okay, yeah, I've got to do this much better. I've got to live much better. It applies to traffic rules, it applies to someone who cuts you off or runs you on the side of the road or stops suddenly, you know, you're about to go, you, bless you, my son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And of course, it could, could be somebody from church. <laughs> okay. okay. Alright, just the last thing there. Okay. Uh, you may you'll notice that you know, Anne's kind enough to throw in a few Thanksgiving songs at the beginning of the service. Well, um, this is why. Because in this whole passage, look what Paul says. That the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Incidentally, the Greek word for be thankful is eucharisto. And some of you will know that the communion service in Anglican Church and some of the more liturgical churches is called the Eucharist, that means the essence of his thankfulness. So we see that in the verse here, it comes to the spirit of the Eucharist, uh, I give thanks. And then, uh, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and so on, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And same thing, uh, everything we've been talking about this morning, what we've done here today, with communion, with prayer, with everything, let it be done with thankfulness in our hearts. And, and this is a big theme in Paul. First Corinthians, First Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God for you. In everything. There's that phrase again. Give thanks. That's the will of God uh, for you. And then in verse 17, uh, again, you're giving thanks to God again, and you do anything and everything in the name of Jesus, and give thanks to God the Father, is there. But back earlier in chapter 2, verse 7, the early part of the letter, he uses the phrase abounding in thanksgiving. It's kind of not actually in chapter 3, but to go back to that, uh, abounding. Now, the word abound there is pretty much the same in, in any language, I suppose, but it, it's uh, primary meaning of the Greek text is overflowing. So it's not just, it's like a, a bucket that's, that's full of water and you empty the tap on it, just keeps overflowing, or a waterfall flowing. So that kind of idea of you know, abundance is more, more than uh, well, it's what David said in Psalm 23 cup runneth over back to King James Version abounding in thanksgiving now I'm about to tread on very dangerous ground here how many of you have a dog? pet dog? No, one person, okay who's got a pet cat? same person <laughs> Nobody else? We had a dog died not sleep. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Okay. Alright, well, the ground's not as dangerous as I thought. Because I want to draw a comparison between cats and dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, dogs, dogs are mad. You've got a dog. You, you go outside, you come back the next day, the dog's. <laughs> 
chucked up and there was a bit of dirty paws all over you and barking you up, run around in circles and everything. And they, uh, they're so thankful to see you. We used to have a Kelpie. Our Kelpies are wild dogs. And you, 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 I'd, I'd go away for a week and come back and... I'd go out there for five minutes and come back. Yeah. Two minutes. Uh, he was overflowing with thanksgiving, abundant of thanksgiving. Now cats... The cats decide whether, it's to, whether they'll be thankful or not. So they see you come to the door, and if they feel like it, they might get up and come and brush against your leg, but most likely they'll just say, well, they are. Maybe give you a bit of a look, stay there, and maybe deign to come and greet you half an hour later, maybe an hour later. They don't care whether you've been gone six minutes or six months, it's just the same, you know, because cats got to rule the place. Now they have this uh, Egyptian, because the Egyptians they come from Egypt, this kind of Egyptian uh, serenity and uh, authority and superiority about them. So, they just, you know, and if you get to the door and the cat just waits for you to come and open the door. Whereas a dog would go, scratch and everything. And the cats won't dig, won't debase themselves to do that. They'll just wait and they assume that you will know they want to go out and so they'll open the door for you. So the Bible is saying here, abound in thanksgiving. In everything be thankful. Let thanksgiving be the heart of all who all that we are. So when someone then says, uh, in everything, you know, work as if for God, you say, sure, amen, I love God, I'm glad to work for him. And thanksgiving becomes the heart of our living and of our lifestyle. Well, all of those things we can talk about much longer, but they're basically just some rough thoughts on what it means to fulfill this thing, of simply just doing everything in the name of Jesus. Whether it's the word, being rich in the word, being rich in wisdom, being rich in worship, being rich in the work, but above all, abounding in thanksgiving to God, just worshiping and praising Him. Amen. I was just about to say, Wendy, that would be a great place for somebody to say Amen, and you said it. So, so well done. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you all.